Welcome to The Mic Drop Podcast, Episode 1, How to Spend Your Summer. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Mic Drop Podcast. I'm Mike Compatello. I'm with my friend, Mike Truesdell. What's up, Mike? Hi, everybody. Hi, Mike. What's up? And here we are for Mike Cast, Mike's Cast number one, which is about <laughs> how to spend your summer vacation or some some ideas about how to have a productive productive summer uh, for us musicians. So I know Mike T has a lot of ideas about this, so maybe we just jump right in. Um, I wanted to uh, start with the uh, the full disclosure that both Mike C and myself, Mike T, are both college teachers. Ah, uh, yes. And we understand that there are many people for whom summer is just another day in the office. Um, but that is not the case for us. Like this is actually a very important time for us to uh, to get a new perspective on teaching. And it's also an important time for us to get uh, some creative work done, some research work done. So uh, and I know a lot of students out there are also on our same schedule. So um, if this can help anyone out there, whether you're a student or a teacher, um, I, 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 I'm glad that that will happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that my, uh, what I've noticed in my time teaching and, and being a professor is that summer can be a really hard time to manage, uh, because it's kind of long and, um, the re-entry in August or September is always, is always much more difficult than one than one thanks. Yeah. And also the, 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 uh, the school year is generally pretty grueling for a lot of people. And the, the first few weeks are usually okay. And then you start to get into a little bit of a groove in the semester or the term, whatever you're on. And then the, the last like four weeks of the semester are just a tumble and (laughs) you get to the end of this thing. And all you can think about is I can't wait for break. And then you get into break and your brain is in this mentality of of like i need to just escape that like horrible experience that i just had where everybody was expecting something from me and i was completely late and i did i felt like i didn't uh perform very well and then you get into summer mode and then that starts to uh you know that mentality of just like escaping that or relaxing or something is a lot of self-talk. And then all of a sudden it, the summer's over and you enter into a period of like re-entry, like Mike was saying, and that, and then your uh, that re-entry is usually followed by a lot of regret of yeah, like, I yeah, had yeah. this opportunity. <laughs> I also think about it like in sports, if, if you show up at training camp um, out of shape, you stay out of shape yeah. essentially. <laughs> Yeah, but that that point of uh, of rest, like that that week after the Super Bowl or the, that month after the Super Bowl or something before uh, the training camp training happens, like it's really important for recovery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I had a question before, yes. like when I started to research this, I had like some ideas uh, down, and I had I made a YouTube video about um, how to spend your summer vacation. Uh, so I, I'd been thinking about this for a while, but what I didn't understand fully was like, why we have summer vacation. Are you aware, Mike, of why summer vacation even exists? I'm willing to make up an answer. Okay. What, what would you make up? 
I would say that it's a university thing and yeah. it has to do with temperature. Oh, that's, that's that great. It gets too, too hot to study in an urban environment. So um, you need to avoid the plague or whatever, and you return to the countryside. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right on. Yeah. What I really? learned. Yeah. There's a, <laughs> there's a, uh, um, there's like a PDF on like the government website about this, that somebody like did a research. I wonder who the, the people are who are like the scholars it, that are hired by the government to, to I write. study history of summer. <laughs> Some, summer storian. Summer storian. Yeah. I don't do fall. <laughs> yeah yeah automologist yeah <laughs> uh in uh yeah i can't think of another good word you win <laughs> the, well the uh um supposedly it started in the late 19th century and oh, that late yeah okay. i know i thought so too and it was because of uh like the agrarian needs uh on the students like the the working population right oh. in the farms and things were um, were like the, the, the students essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you couldn't have somebody that, that year round. So you, you need to have like some kind of break, um, in there, but it's interesting that like, uh, that there's, there are examples of like year round school. Okay. And there's no study that, uh, was cited or could be found that cites that year round school begets a better result hmm. like it seems like we need that that rest in order to help clarify i think so i mean maybe you feel this way too as a musician where or as a professor where those nine months are actually incredibly busy versus someone with a kind of a job that that has fewer ebbs and flows or maybe a little bit less seasonal volatility sure and so it is it is quite mentally exhausting i wonder if it has anything to do with the 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 types of people who are allowed to go to college and if mm. it um if at all in the 19th century it opened up to people that from a from a growing post-industrial revolution middle class as compared to people that are from a certain socioeconomic status and if that mm. meant that they had to have rules where or ideas where people had to go home during the summer but summer's kind of a weird time because it's not like you're harvesting yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I didn't quite get like why we need it. And I don't, uh, I, maybe it's because the, like you were saying, like, I think it is weather-based in some places because, you know, there's different schools in different parts of the world, uh, that have different schedules. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like I, I remember hearing about a, a friend of mine who teaches in Australia who had a more regular schedule, like the schedule was, um, was something like two months on, one month off, all year round. Well, that sounds good. I don't know. I, I feel like I could do something with that. There's something um, great about being on break when nobody else is. In, I'm from Tucson, and we have a rodeo break <laughs> in February, where, where Tucson has a big rodeo. I okay. think it's the world's largest, longest non-mechanized parade, which generally mm -hmm. means there's a lot of poop. Oh, and there's something really blissful about going to Disneyland that weekend because nobody else is on vacation. Right. For rodeo week. Rodeo vacation. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, right. I mean, whenever you go abroad and they, they have holidays. Yeah. You you say like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Like, how do you have, uh, you know, like sidewalk cleaning day or whatever? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, OK, we've well, we've we've really solved what <laughs> is summer. <laughs> I just was kind of curious, like, how is it that we we have uh, like we're never going to not have a summer vacation? Hopefully, I, I think it's possible we don't, because for a long time, the U.S. Congress took a really long break because the Washington, D.C., which is built on a swamp, was too hot to do anything. So it, I, I have a feeling that that uh, that could change in the next hundred years or something. Yeah. Isn't it interesting, though, that like I, th- I think the government in some ways is kind of like academia that uh, in in theory, we're supposed to be able to set our own rules as faculty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like faculty governed, whatever is, is the, is the catch line. Um, mm-hmm. But isn't it that d- doesn't like Congress like pass their own salaries and. Um, yeah. That's kind of weird. <laughs> so I, I love that idea. It's like, you know, it is a little hot. Maybe we should call it quits here. Let's go home. Let's go home. <laughs> all in favor of going home. <laughs> yeah and the eyes have it <laughs> okay well so we have this point of okay we have a summer break we have a, yeah, we've, we've decided that we have summer um, so that does okay. cre- it creates the the idea of well that's a long time and <laughs> musicians are sometimes you can be pretty busy over the summer right at going to a festival or yeah playing at a festival but um what were you thinking about? Yeah, well, uh, I'm just maybe we can start with uh, just what you and I are doing this summer. Okay. Like what what uh, what are you up to um, over over this break? I mean, we don't have to uh, get into any details, but if you uh, like, what are you? How are you spending this time? Well, I don't want to uh, reveal my answer to the question because I'm excited to hear your answer to how to spend a restful summer first. But um, at the tail end of our semester, I went to Hong Kong for the Toolbox International Creative Academy with my duo partner, Hannah. And then that sort of brought us into the summer. And then in May, I sort of flailed incoherently for a little while, um, as well as took care of a whole bunch of other stuff, applications and, and, and stuff. But the big project this summer is to work on a book. And um, the book is sort of spiraling both in control and out of control. Uh, and so in June, I uh, went to a festival uh, in Italy, the Cortona Sessions, where I taught and played chamber music and uh, contemporary chamber music uh, in Tuscany. And then I'm spending some time now in Europe, kind of working on this this uh, this big project. And then it'll be time to go back to school and start to um, prepare things for the new semester. Um, I teach at Arizona State University, and we've got a whole bunch of logistical stuff to do before the semester. And and like we were just talking about, uh, if you don't start with all the maracas in the right place, they'll never get to the right place. <laughs> so that's what I'm up to uh, this summer. What about you? Uh, yeah, May is always an interesting month. That's a the the time where you have to just like make sure all the wounds are cauterized. 
mm-hmm. um, before s- summer happens because you want to you want to be focusing uh, your your time in other places. So yeah, like May was a little bit of uh, of wrapping things up um, at Ithaca College where I, where I teach, and uh, the end of May, my teacher Dane Richardson uh, had his last concert at Lawrence University. Uh, I went to school there as as an undergrad student. And so I went out to Appleton to go see that last concert and and, uh, kind of send the respects to uh, to my teacher who who really, I mean, by all uh, all accounts, changed my life. So that was a a wonderful thing. And that's kind of a spiritual thing, right, to like go and Mm -hmm. say thanks to a teacher. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I do some like house projects at home. Uh, you know, it's something that's like non-musical. It requires just a little different kind of focus. And also it helps organize the brain that you're getting your physical space in order. So, yeah, I was doing some of that. And uh, every summer I like to do an audit of some materials. So some things that uh, like read through complete method books. A lot of times we we only touch on one or two pages or, you know, we use our favorite etude from a certain book, but we don't always uh, read through the entire Stone Stick Control book or we don't read hmm. through the entire George Hamilton Green Instruction Course book or something. I like the end. It, it's brilliant um, yeah. how he how he structured that, that book. Uh, but you're so, still keeping your hammers low, even at the end. There's never I mean, an exercise where it says, just lift them up. <laughs> keep them high. Yeah, keep them high. Just have a blast. <laughs> I don't think he'd ever said that in his lifetime. <laughs> yep. Uh, just keep those hickory shafts high. So when you say audit, do you mean it in terms of an academic class where you're, you're attending? Or do you mean it in an IRS style where you're going to write the author and uh, <laughs> ask them for money? No, I I mean like uh like I go through the book and and just evaluate whether it's truly um a a resource that I can use and are there other parts of the of the resource that mm. I'm missing that really could help me or help my students out. Mm. Um so yeah, I'm I'm going through some some books right now but uh the one that's that's like on the front of the of the music stand every day are the Bach cello suites. Like, wow, okay. I feel like I'm I've I've always been a lute suite fan. I've always been a sonatas and partitas fan. But the in the cello suites, like I know, but you know, if you said, hey, uh, what happens in like the beret of the E flat major suite, like I probably would have to think about that for a second. Um, so I, I didn't really know him as well. And I had a student learn one this year. And so I thought, you know, maybe that's a good idea to go through. And mm-hmm. currently, uh, currently the, the, the bookmark is on the sixth suite. Ooh, tough. And this is definitely like a highlight for me. I love this suite. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you about reading tenor clef. Oh my God. I love how you go from Arizona highway speed to Manhattan driving speed. <laughs> I, it's hilarious. Like, and, and you know, I really am like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about the teacher, you know, that's like, make sure all every, everything's the same tempo. And I was like, that's not going to get it done. 
Um, <laughs> well, I think you can break your own rules, right? I suppose. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that, that's that's a blast because it was written for maybe a different instrument. Yes. Yeah. Um, with more strings. More strings. But I think ch- cellists are generally pretty good at tenor clef. Yeah, they can do that. Um, apparently, I can't. <laughs> I'm not I'm... above some note names above the notes. <laughs> That's something we're going to talk about in a future episode. Yeah. Um, preparing your part, meaning yeah. writing in all of the note names. All the note names in crayon. <laughs> I thought knowing knowing you, I thought you would have rewritten it somehow. Well, I did look for some of them. Uh, yeah, some of those notes get a little ledger liney up there, you know, with a with that fifth string. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, some of those some of those notes are, are pretty dicey. But gosh, I mean, I, I think there's a big difference between the fourth and the fifth suite, uh, mm-hmm. in in terms of like the ability to stretch a harmonic idea or like how delayed an idea can can get. I think he he something happened between the fourth and the fifth. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The, the fifth one is very epic. Epic. Um, yeah, epic. so that's the big thing right now, and uh, and then yeah, I teach at the Juilliard Summer Seminar every summer. That's going to happen here in a little bit, uh, and then um, heading out to down to Santa Fe. I'm going to go see the opera down there. I've got uh, a friend who's playing in the um, in the opera orchestra. Um, wow. the, yeah, one of the co-artistic directors of that ensemble new SRQ that I play with a lot. Uh-huh. Um, so b- both, uh, George and Samantha are going to be in Santa Fe that first week. So, uh, nice. can't wait to go see some Pelias and the chamber music fe- festivals happening. And Nico Muley, I think was involved in a new Orfeo. Wow. So sounds amazing. I think I might be culturally so it's a, enriched. It's a music filled summer. Uh, somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, w- I would say that I'm going to a lot of museums, art museums, mm-hmm. which which I really take musical inspiration from because I love to notice details and stuff in, sure. in especially visual art and try to draw, uh, think critically about them and bring them to uh, bring them to my music making. But it sounds like you got a lot of um, music listening, experiencing going on this summer. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't draw analogies between anything. It just, <laughs> it just has to be straight. No, no, but I think what you're saying is, is, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Like it, it, it's important. I think Kobe Bryant said something about that. The, mm-hmm. um, like the ability to filter your entire life's experience through the, through your passion. Mm. So the, uh, uh, like experiencing, like Kobe talked about, um, like getting to know the inner workings of what a conductor does, because how how can that influence the way that he manages the court and manages a team um, yeah. or playwrights or whatever? You know, he's, he's storytelling. I think he he was really into that, um, mm. especially in retirement. I, yeah. You know, and I think personally, there's nothing more interesting than somebody who's really interested in something. Yeah. Um, and I enthusiastic. Just yeah, I guess enthusiastic is probably a better word. Enthusiastic and perhaps a little knowledgeable because enthusiastic and not knowledgeable is kind of a strange combination. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, that was one of the John Wooden John Wooden um, pillars of success was uh-huh. industriousness and enthusiasm. Those were is that the a two... Corinthian pillar, Doric <laughs> pillar, <laughs> Doric. probably Doric. Yeah. probably yeah <laughs> knowing him 
Yeah, yeah. There's no <laughs> no squiggles here. Yeah, what's the UCLA architecture? We'll have to figure that out. Yeah, that's a topic for a real expert. <laughs> but I, I remember seeing in your YouTube video that mm -hmm. you kind of had a three-phased summer plan. Is that right? Is it still is it still that, or has recent have recent discoveries moved you off this? No, I think I'm still on this. Like it, you know, what you actually do in real life. Like what what's the uh, the wasn't it an Eisenhower quote that he said um, like uh, like plans are stupid, but planning is everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, it, he said it more elegantly than that. But essentially the idea that like you have to come up with some kind of structure, but you can't expect yourself to stick to that structure mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because you're a human being and things happen and um, it may not like be the best. It's the same reason that Reich uh, abandons some process when he's writing his pieces or um, like you can't have a fully process driven piece of music because it's not organic. It doesn't by definition, right? It won't, it won't have a balance to it. So yeah, what, sure. it, what I'm on right now, I still am on this, this three part, uh, triptych here. The first, first part of the summer, um, or the break for me is always some kind of decompression. Mm -hmm. That means, uh, just really doing very little, um, mm -hmm. So a after, you know, after the, the year's wrapped up and you've celebrated and you're, it's time for summer to begin, like usually that means walking and hiking and maybe some exercise or reading a non-music book for fun, um, having some kind of like no technology day mm. uh, where you just turn everything off and experience the analog world. Um, mm. Uh, I think, you know, reflection or meditation of some kind is really important practice. And that's a great time. Uh, and then, yeah, connect with these people that you've probably neglected the mm -hmm. entire year. The the grandmas of the world. Like, oh, yeah. Grandma needs to be called at some point. Um, so, yeah, that, that I think that first part of the summer is a really good time to do that. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And I like that you actually make time for it. Most of us are just sort of surprised and shocked <laughs> and angry at ourselves for, for doing that, right? Yeah, um, and that initial uh, part of the summer is a little jump into the cold pool because your yeah, brain yeah. is firing on all cylinders. Like, can you imagine, speaking of athletes, like, can you imagine playing that last game of the NBA Finals or playing in the Super Bowl? And mm -hmm. you're at the peak of your mental and physical abilities. And then the next day, it's nothing. Like you've seen those videos of those guys it, going into the locker rooms with garbage bags. And that's oh, it. Yeah. And you like never see someone again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, like that difference is really tough because at the end of a school year, you'll, you're able to focus usually for a longer period of time. And your, your mm -hmm. brain is super active. You're very mm -hmm. productive. Um, and then you're in a place where you don't need that skill. And actually, it's probably detrimental to have your brain working that fast and your mm -hmm. breath will be that mm -hmm. shallow. So mm -hmm. sometimes it's a forced decompression because um, all you really want to do is just keep working. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that may not be the, the best thing for the marathon. It's better for the sprint. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I like you took a glass of water there as if to illustrate your point. 
<laughs> you, you know that you know the the Seinfeld joke about how you you always are dominant in a with a cigarette because you can always like you know it you can always just take the draw and then if you need you can make your point and then put the cigarette out and then how can you come back from that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Okay, so that's the, that's for me the first part of the summer, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, f- with varying levels of success in my personal life of like how to deal with that decompression. But uh, um, I, I put down like kind of an arbitrary number of about twenty percent of the break because I was thinking about spring break also. Um, mm. Like spring break, you know, is is what is somewhere around the nine days uh, for mm-hmm. most people. So that first weekend and change is probably decompressing. Um, And then the bulk of the break for me is uh, preparing and developing skills. Mm. And for that, just that just means like, okay, if you're in a spring break situation, like you're catching up on all the stuff that you you need to in the middle of a semester. Um, And for summer, it just... uh, it means like, okay, what were the things that my teacher was working on? Hopefully, if you're a student, you've worked on um, uh, the the last few weeks of your semester, you were talking with your teacher about like, what do I need to do over the summer? Um, Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. then the, uh, uh, and then so you have a list of, all right, well, I need to work on on these technical things, I need to learn these pieces. And if they if your teacher didn't talk to you about that, then you can obviously make your own curriculum, or you can ask past teachers or friends or, or anything. But honestly, the, the point is that you're, you're developing your weaknesses mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, and learning, uh, new pieces. So, like I said, I do these, these, um, kind of reviews, overviews of, of printed materials, of pieces, uh, and that could be repertoire method books or something like that. Um, I try to focus on the technical fundamentals during that. So mm-hmm. that's a good idea to like get in front of a mirror or like really break something down. Cause during the year you're just going, you don't have a ton of time to, to do that usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also like applying those, those skills are really fun. And, uh, you know, I thought about doing community concerts. Um, you could try to organize some kind of recital for people, for your friends or your family. Um, I know you and I did a, a a June concert on Father's Day. We, we oh yeah, do you remember that a couple of years ago? Yeah, I liked um, our parents' uh, basically inverse reactions. <laughs> Just absolute elation from yeah. from the the Truesdale parents. Yes, yeah, I want your parents to be um to to be my responders for almost any <laughs> anything in my life. Uh, yeah, like the, I think they were the people who, who like would applaud in the middle of a phrase, Mm. you know, they're like the jazz listeners, Ooh, you know, the ones who will like applaud in the middle of the piece because it's like, that was great. Nice. It's like, wow, he really made that phrase sing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on the xylophone. Let's shout. Nice. Okay, so you're you're reviewing all this stuff. You're generating ideas, developing yep. new skills. Yeah, and um, like kind of technical uh, development in there. Mm-hmm, um, it's mm-hmm. like kind of getting the getting the work done, and and s- sometimes like you know sometimes there's like new ideas that come up. I think that's where uh, you know that's where this idea 
we have been talking about doing a podcast for a while, but the, uh, you know, that, that real in, inspiration came here in the middle of the summer. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where we were thinking, gosh, you know, we should really be doing this. And this is the time in the summer where we can do it because once we get to the end of the summer, those last couple of weeks are mayhem. That's right. Especially in the academic calendar. It's the semester does not start on the first day of the semester. No. Ever. Uh, no. And one, one thing I like that you mentioned is that, or maybe you didn't mention and I just imagined it, is that when, when your head is clear, um, you tend to have better ideas than yeah. when, when your mind is sort, of, is sort of occupied. It's great to be busy. And when you're around other people, there's an awesome exchange of ideas that kind of hones your own, hones your own creative acumen. But sometimes having a little bit of mental space for your mind to sort of do its thing, you, you come up with some really good, some really good thoughts about what you could be doing with, uh, or, or either big picture stuff or little picture stuff. Like how do I move my pinky um, or, or yep. things like that? Would you say that's, that's kind of true? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I was inspired. There's, like this fantastic um, book, and I'm going to forget the author's name, but it's about the daily routines of artists. Mm. And it's just a fantastic book. He went through journals and schedules and assistance handbooks and stuff and like compiled all these creative people's schedules from the past mm -hmm. like 100 years or so or, or more. Mm -hmm. but yeah, more. Um, because he has, he has like, I think Ben Franklin's schedule in there. Well, he really kept good records of what he did. Yeah. That's what I understand. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was really interesting to see how different people and almost everybody to a person, um, did a lot of like creative work in the morning when their brain mm. was the freshest, like you wake up and you might feel a little groggy, but, uh, but if you get to work, like you don't have the day packed in there also and you know i'm i'm reading uh deep work again now mm -hmm. uh, cal newport's book and he talks about the very first thing he talks about is carl jung's schedule and mm -hmm. yeah, that was yeah. something like wake up eat breakfast write for a uh write for a couple hours um and then or maybe he like took a walk and then he wrote for a couple hours and then the rest of the day was walking around. Yeah. Like I'm going to write, I'm going to work for a few hours, but most of the day is like, is making sure my brain is clear enough to think mm -hmm. and process mm -hmm. and review those ideas. Mm. Um, okay. I'll just wrap up here. The, the third part of the, of the, um, the triptych is, uh, is a taper like a marathon runner who, uh, you know, will, will build up to a peak. And then at the end of the training, the, the mileage decreases somewhat significantly. Mm -hmm. Um, and the idea with that is that like your muscles can retain those, this knowledge, but, um, but that, uh, and the strength, but you're not, um, you're going to be performing at your optimal peak level physically mm -hmm. um if you don't max out your muscles and the same thing uh mentally so for me essentially that last like 10 to 15 percent of the break the last week or so 
um, week mm. or two in the summer is like mm. basically mm. putting fuel in the tank for the semester because it's going to be grueling and you know what it's going to be like in week nine, 10, 11. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you can make sure you hit the ground with uh, as much fuel as possible. So like a relaxed mind, a balanced mind, an organized uh, approach to your semester. And for anybody going into their first year, that's going to be really hard. Like you have no idea what that first year is going to be like. Mm -hmm. But if you've been there, if you've been at school for a year or two, then you know what what the academic calendar looks like. And therefore, I think you can prepare yourself for that rigor. Mm -hmm. um, and there's things like putting fuel in the tank or obviously like relaxing and um, uh, maybe taking some some time away from from like playing or writing or whatever you're doing. Uh, you can call your grandma again, um, organizing. So just twice in the summer? <laughs> That's it? Well, I, I, I hope that, uh, I hope that grandma pesters you if you don't call enough. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, my grandma used to, if we wouldn't call, then we would get a package in the mail of like chocolate chip bread. And that was like the sign that's like, oh, okay. Like yeah. we didn't call grandma enough. Like she's reaching out cause she wouldn't call. Huh. <laughs> she would send. Um, so th for me, it's just basically like just trying to balance the self and get the, mm -hmm. the brain in order. Like, okay, I'm organized. I know what my, uh, what my personal operating system is like my inputs here is like, how do I manage text messages? How do I manage emails? How do I manage, um, social media inputs? Like how do I manage personal conversations there? Mm -hmm. So if I can manage my inputs and outputs, and organize that, then I have a system going forward. If I can manage my um, productivity methods and I've, I've really reviewed that, then I have a strategy and a structure for how to manage difficult times, um, mm. which are going to be in the next 15 weeks. Uh, yeah. Then yeah, organizing the physical self, psychological self, and then basically uh, entering the, the semester with optimism. Huh. So I think a lot of us approach it as like some kind of burden that we have to bear. And honestly, I love going back to school after the semester because I love seeing mm. the students and I love um, seeing, you know, most of the colleagues are awesome and really fun. Um, I'm excited about some of the ideas I've cooked up. So I feel like a little bit of a puppy dog at the beginning of the semester. And mm -hmm. if you're not one of those people, I think just answering a couple questions about like, what are you excited about? Mm -hmm. um, for this upcoming semester. And if you approach the semester with that, what am I excited about? I think it's going to change the, um, that first entry point in the semester. Yeah, so that's cool. That's it. It's the decompress, prepare and develop skills and, um, and taper. DPT. It's, it's the DPT method. The, the DPT method. I'm curious. How do you create optimism? Uh, I, I don't Optimism know. is something, maybe <laughs> just says something about my own optimism, like that sort of happens to you. Uh, but may, maybe there is a way to sort of create, create optimism. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there's, there's some scientists that study that. I think a lot of it is, is just um, help trying to divert 
thoughts. Like if you, if you know a thought comes in and it's a mm-hmm. pessimistic thought, then just, just trying to say, okay, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of let it go and see if you can focus on something that's more optimistic. And it might be something you can train your brain to just always be gearing towards that if you mm. want, if you want it. Okay. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I think you could develop happiness. I was just, or optimism. I was just curious what you thought. Yeah. Um, I think I, I was, uh, um, Yale has a class, a really famous class about happiness. Hmm. I don't know if you've seen this class. And then, no. uh, the woman who teaches it also teaches it online. It's their most popular class ever. Huh. And she said that, that the number one barometer of happiness for people is, um, uh, random or uh, random encounters with other people, be they strangers or, or other, other things that sort of, that's probably the number one thing that can, can, uh, can make you happy, hmm. um, or at least allow you to be happy. Maybe there's a difference between making you happy and allowing yourself to be happy. Maybe the happiness was always in there the whole time. Hmm. But that's a topic for another podcast, I think. <laughs> but no, but I think that's right. And it makes it sense. Like, I, I remember when I was uh, like, I think about cross training the, mm-hmm. the brain, uh, the way that you cross train your body. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, right now I have some blocks in my schedule that are blocked off as cross training blocks. And, you know, it, some things that populate that are like language learning, um, like that can really help your brain restructure or like, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I've got some like science projects that I like doing or, uh, oh, I you've got l- some, you have some volcanoes, some Bunsen burners <laughs> back there. Uh, yep. Uh, I'm, I'm learning how a CD works. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like something like that. Or I, I want to learn a card trick. A card I, trick. I want to learn a magic trick with cards. Yeah, I think that because those like cross training things are really good. Um, but I was thinking that, uh, you know, cross training when I was first playing Steve Reich drumming, I mm-hmm, mm-hmm. practiced my phases on the um, on the reservoir running circle in Central Park because okay. you, could, you could like run with somebody like I could run behind somebody and I would try phasing with their feet. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so I, I feel like I could practice that all the time. And, you know, if you're practicing optimism, it doesn't have to always be like you sitting there looking at a wall, practicing it. Like you could practice being happy by just existing in the world. And then any interaction, like, you know, the, the traffic is terrible and something it's, and then you can practice like, okay, that's a moment where I can practice being yeah. happy. I, I think that, you know, that our behaviors can create our mindset, right? Yeah. Or our actions can create our mindset. And to that extent, if you work on that kind of stuff, like if you do this, these kind of routines or, or activate these ideas, you will, con- you will continue to activate them, I think. Oh, yeah. And likewise, our, our, our environments actually have a huge bearing on our temperament and our development and all those sort of things. So if you can put yourself in a physical environment or maybe even a mental environment where where you're set up for success. Um, I think that's great. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I just blabbed about the summer vacay. 
What mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Is that is that off? Is that what's what's your different take? I'm sure you've okay. got some new ideas. So I had after watching your video and being impressed by impressed by your video because you always seem to have a three step <laughs> process. I liked your thing about how to learn something, mm-hmm. um, analyze, synthesize something else. I don't remember what the third one was. Yeah, nobody does. Um, wait, no, no, uh, analyze. I can't remember. But anyway, after application, application, a- application. Yep. Nice. Analysis. Of, yeah. You break something apart, you put it together and then you put it into a context. Yeah. You know, actually, I was just reading this fantastic book called The Musician's Mind hmm. by this woman, Lynn Helding. And it's all about how we learn. How do people learn things? Yeah. And those are essentially like the three main steps. The first hmm. step is what she what would call attention what people in uh, deliberate practice or motor learning would call like authority or autonomy, like something has to get your attention, yeah. right? And then the next thing is is actually the learning, which mm. is um, getting things from your working memory to your long-term memory. And that process is helped the most by tearing ideas apart and combining them with other ideas mm-hmm. so that um, you're really kind of tinkering with things in in the way that if you spend many weeks sort of messing with how you move your hands on the snare drum, you probably get better at assessing what you, what you want to be doing. And then the third one was sort of actually changing your brain to do this, you know, Mm -hmm. developing the myelin in your nervous system and creating, um, and creating new neural pathways. So that sounds like exactly the, the right, the maybe quote unquote right way to, to learn something. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, after watching your video, uh, I had two responses. Okay. And maybe they're maybe these are helpful or maybe they're not. But number one was to go big and work on fundamentals. And by that, I don't mean music fundamentals. I mean the fundamentals of how to learn stuff. Hmm. Um, how to learn things, how to learn ideas, how to learn concepts. And I think those are actually really applicable to learning music because a lot of times we seem to get stuck with this notion that our musical learning is mostly contained in the practice room like when we practice that's when we learn music but my thought is um well it's not my thought it's a thought that i have had alongside a lot of other people is that music occurs in sort of a a learning something occurs especially music occurs in a spectrum or a, a long process from sort of sitting it somewhere contextualizing it historically to sort of picking it apart to sort of actually doing it and then kind of reflecting on it and then putting it to use. And so my idea number one about the summer is work on how to learn anything. And I do think that, that people who are professional learners, like people who are creative or people whose jobs uh, require them to like, to do new things, doing other new things helps you do the new things in your, in your career. So that was idea number one. And I, I can break that part a little bit. I, I wrote it. I made an outline. But um, thing number two, there is no summer. I think it would be great if there was no difference between the summer and the rest of the year, which hmm. would mean something you alluded to, which is kind of like to build systems that allow you to work sustainably mm-hmm. um, so that that we try to to. I think it would be amazing if we didn't have those peaks and valleys of energy and of learning. Of course, you know, the events in in one's life are really going to be volatile or not. Mm -hmm. But I think it would be amazing if it it was possible to 
um, to sort of keep some stability of, of, of both like systems or habits or routines that, that can keep you going. So um, for me, that means, like I said, contextualizing your time in the practice room is actually much less important in your development as a musician or as a, as a, like a cultural citizen of the world. And on the one hand, that kind of makes sure your time on your instruments is really useful. Um, and on the other hand, it just kind of helps you, um, it helps you sort of engage with the world. So I had kind of a few ideas on this because of the inspiration from you. One was think, actually think about how your body learns new stuff and take on some challenges to work on that, even if they're not musical. I think a lot of times in music, we seem to take music solutions to music problems, right? Like we have a musical problem. And so we take a musical uh, tool to that problem. Like we, we, we're trying to learn how to play a scale and we work on it musically, right? And, and this is changing, of course, but instead of thinking, well, wait a minute, how do my arms learn how to do stuff? Or how have other people talked about how to do this that aren't really my teacher? Um, so like, uh, like I said earlier, I think one thing you can do over the summer is to, to spend some time in other disciplines, seeing how people acquire new skills and seeing how people sort of develop new ideas and seeing what, which of those can come, you can bring to your bring to your music making. And then the other thing I had uh, uh, is this notion of just being interested and being interesting. Um, one thing I think for us as musicians is that we exist in the world, right? And our work kind of connects people together. I mean, that's the goal, I think, um, is, is to connect people together in some way. And so you can't just spend all of your time alone in a practice room because you never come into contact with any of the people that are going to be your peers, that are going to be your supporters, that are going to be the people that sort of challenge you and help hone your ideas. So I like to spend time just engaging with culture, however you identify culture. Uh, so for me, that might mean going to concerts. It might mean reading stuff. I really like going to art museums, like I said before, because I really love visual art and I love the way sort of noticing details in visual art and thinking about ideas in visual art can really come to music because it's so much more obvious. Like a painting from the year 1920, you can pretty clearly think about, well, what was going on in 1920? Mm -hmm. What kind of clothes were people wearing? What were they eating? Um, how is this painting um, different because it's in this gallery versus where it used to be? So I think just sort of engaging with, with the culture around you or a culture around you or however you want to define that is how I would spend the summer. I think the those two things. The problem with this approach is that it doesn't really have a, a schedule for it. You know, uh, it's sort of epiphany based. That's generally how I learn, which is these little explosions of ideas, these little epiphanies. And so that that's kind of my thought about how I would spend um, a summer. So it's like a, like you create your own curriculum in a way. It's like build a class. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I, that doesn't preclude you from doing what you're doing to, to like, I'm going to go through these method books. Sure. But I would love, I mean, maybe it's just how my mind works or my interests, but I would love to 
to take on these method books, but then think about, wait a minute, how did people in other fields create technical studies? Like, what did they do? Like, I just went to a, a Picasso museum in Barcelona, and there's one room that's just full of paintings he made of pigeons. They're all pigeons, okay. all the way down. And so, like, how did someone practice something? You know, in the same way we might practice accents and rebounds or stick control or or whatever through this idea of repetition. How do people in other fields do that? And it kind of works in music, too. I really like to read treatises. Mm -hmm. um, especially historical ones where people talk about how should you play the violin? And they're usually, they're usually pretty catty. They say <laughs> stuff like, this is how you should not play the violin. <laughs> and this guy down the street. Yeah. yeah. And, and so for, for me, that actually does what your three-step process does, mm -hmm. because I think about, well, how does this person make an argument? How does this painter make an argument? How does this author make an argument? And then I think, well, in my music making, can I make an argument that way? Mm. And sometimes that can give you a solution that just uh, being in the practice room can't. Mm -hmm. And it sort of allows you to have more teachers um, as well. Um, so th that's kind of how, how I think. And sometimes I find that when uh, I apply that to, to teaching or to learning like a new piece of music, it can be really helpful because it, it helps me eliminate the blockages. You know how we get into those zones where it's sort of, there are weeks where we can't do that thing or we can't play that thing. And, and a lot of times we tell ourselves, I'll, you know, I'll get it. But then we actually don't know how we get it. How do oh, yeah. you do that? No, and it's gone and then it's there. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's sort of like, wouldn't you want to know how <laughs> your brain does that? <laughs> and then you could help make it more efficient next time. Yeah, it's not it's not as though scientists or or cognitive uh scientists or cognitive neurologists uh neurocognitive people have figured this out. Sure. But a lot of interesting people have thought about, well, how does your body kind of learn a new a new thing? And I found that that does what you said as the second phase, which is it sort of lights me up. Mm -hmm. um, it, it gives me ideas that I want to take on and it gives me sort of a reason to learn a new piece of music. Like if I think about, if I go to a concert and I'm inspired by it, or I go to a movie and I'm inspired by it, I think, man, it would be really great to create an event where this happens. And what kind of piece would I want to play there? Oh, I'd probably want to play this kind of piece. And what mm -hmm. do I need to do to be able to play that kind of piece? Well, I need to be able to do this. That's why I should practice stick control. Yep. And I don't have your uh, ability to take on a routine. Mm -hmm. I need to be constantly, um, carroted with some sort of candy or chocolate <laughs> or else, uh, I, I don't want to, else I don't want to do anything. Yeah, um, it, it can't just be those, those four days a year, the day after Halloween, the day after Valentine's day, the day after Easter, it can't just yeah. be these important chocolate holidays. All right. Although now it seems like it's shifted to actually Halloween proper is the day where the chocolate really goes on sale. Because the day after Halloween, really? you're usually just getting those, um, what's the name of the rabbit marshmallow? Peeps. Oh, peeps. You're just getting peeps. Yeah. I don't want peeps. Peeps and whoppers. Peeps and whoppers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say that I was reading a fascinating book about uh, lear learning, and it did kind of go along with what you said, that walking is actually incredible time to get new ideas. Huh. Because your brain 
even when you're sleeping or when you're resting, physically resting, it it does stuff to sort of clean itself the mm-hmm. same way that uh, our physical body has mechanisms through which it, it flushes itself. Mm-hmm. The brain does too. And that's why sometimes when you're walking or jogging, mm-hmm. you tend to have these, these incredible ideas. I don't know if you do, but I tend to have awesome ideas ranging from that's where I left that thing 20 years ago to, <laughs> to uh, oh, that's how I should organize um, organize this thing. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I, I sh- it seems to me like I, if I'm hearing you right, like, I love this. I love this um, where you're, you're basically like making this super curriculum thing where it's like, it's music that's supported by essentially like the world, like anything that's, uh, that someone could be interested in can help support something and be filtered through this thing that we've trained. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you know, cause music is essentially for us because we've been doing music for the better part of our entire life. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's, it's more of a filter in the way that we see the world than it is mm-hmm. a profession or a state of being or something. It's just kind of like a, a set of contacts that we wear. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can, if you can input, visual art or whatever, you know, if somebody, uh, you know, uh, if somebody's listening and they say, oh, well, I'm not into visual art, but I'm really into video games or something. Yeah, like, totally. You can filter that through, 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 uh, like video games and like video game theory through, uh, through music. And then like, how can that support it? And now mm-hmm. all of a sudden I have this cool way I see the world. Um, the thing that sounds tricky to me not to challenge, but just to uh, get your thoughts. But the thing that sounds tricky is that I think for a lot of students, if we're talking students, the uh, one of the hardest things that I've found is for them to self-direct. No offense to any students out there, but the uh, but I think it's really hard for somebody to know what to do next and how I'm, how do I know that I'm doing it right? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and in some ways, the amount of stuff to explore is paralyzing. Yeah. So how, when somebody has essentially like, I'm giving you three months of unstructured time, boof, mm-hmm. and, um, and I want, and then if we're, we're going to help the person say, um, supplement their musical knowledge with non-musical experiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do we help that that student know what to do? Ah, uh, that's a great question. I would say watch Mike Truesdell's video. <laughs> Actually, you created such resources ab- around um, uh, around kind of these habits and routines and and ways of sort of developing our musicianship and sort of inspired me to start a newsletter to share kind of percussion tips. I guess my real answer, I mean, that is my real answer, is that there are so many ways out there to sort of follow along with something, um, be it a summer school or a festival. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't, if you have one thing to do the whole summer, that's such a great structural tentpole. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I'm going on vacation for a week. That means before that there's X amount of time. And after that, there's Y amount of time. And that can be really helpful. But I guess my, my kind of more sinister answer is that there's no real wrong thing. Um, presumably if you're a musician over the summer, you have music that you have to work on or music that you want to work on. Um, but I just think being curious wherever you are and where, whatever you're doing is a really great way to sort of bring that curiosity into your, into your music making. Um, and it sort of helps keep your mind healthier. So how do you do that over mm -hmm. the summer? I like to journal. I like to talk to people. Um, if possible, sometimes we can get kind of isolated over the summer, but to just catch up with someone and say, oh, I saw this thing or, Hey, did you notice? I think this is something you and I do. We sort of text each other random things yeah. and sort of, did you notice this thing? <laughs> or did you notice that, that this person is doing this or that, that the thing is spelled kind of a weird way or right. that, um, that's upside down or, <laughs> or this or that. I think those things, at least for me they sort of, they create those waypoints. Mm -hmm. um, I think three months is a long time to be doing the same thing every day in terms yep. of a musical routine. So if you can find some way to do that. So for me, um, I think other people's mileage may vary. Um, I don't go to a museum every day, but when I do, it's like a, enough material for me to, for me to go forward. So what someone like me does uh, or would do if you if you've got this mindset is to maybe give yourself some waypoints. So for example, uh, sometimes for me over the summer, that would mean I want to take a lesson with so-and-so mm -hmm. and I'm going to prepare for that lesson. And then after that lesson, I'm going to wring as much as I can out of that lesson. That's something that even if you don't work on it eight hours a day, it sort of keeps your mind, it can keep your mind going. Yeah. But like you said, that during that decompression time, isn't it okay to have some time when your mind's just kind of spinning and when Better. you're sort of, you're yeah. just watching episodes of Seinfeld or you're um, watching Wes Anderson movies or you're uh, trying every kind of chocolate you can try or, or something <laughs> like that. I think, th doesn't that sound like something that would help you sort of decompress? Of course. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. For me, something that, that helps. And I, I felt like even when I was an undergrad, I got a lot of freedom in mm. the things that I was choosing to work on. Um, so that combined with maybe like a little bit more of like a uh, maybe naturally controlling kind of personality type, mm -hmm. like I, I was able to really hone that that skill of like, okay, I got to take control over this um, uh, this freedom in order for me to maximize the the time. And so I was able to kind of make my own curriculum. And that really helped me, you know, whatever it is, 15 years later as a teacher to help guide other people through, through this, this freedom. Uh, mm. so for me, yeah, I, I love, I love your ideas. And I, uh, for me, I think I would need something like, uh, I would say, okay, I'm going Mike C says that I, uh, I might be interested in some architecture. Mm, mm -hmm. So, okay. Architecture. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to figure out, um, what the, what my local university's architecture textbook is for the intro to architecture class and check that out from the library. 
Yeah. And then yeah. I'm going to go through the, and then use that as my curriculum. That could work. Yeah. You I know? think, I think it, the, the key thing is it's easier to start with something, you know, a little bit about, and then advance yeah. that to something, you know, a lot about yeah. versus just saying, I'm going to learn thing that I've never tried before. That's yeah. kind of hard. I mean, you wouldn't do that in music and you wouldn't do that in athletics. You wouldn't say I've never run Let's go directly to a marathon. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think that this this way of of that I'm thinking about things can be helpful for people that that are organized and mm -hmm. and have good routines to just sort of allow yourself to um, expand mentally while you're on this path. But yeah. for people that don't have that, I would recommend giving yourself some some jet skis you can water ski behind. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, are there people that you can follow? Are there ideas that you can follow? Um, like I spent some time in Madison a few summers ago mm -hmm. and they had a summer movie series and that became my sort of, here's how I'm going to structure my time. You yeah. know, on the, on that day, I'm going to go study in that cool library that's covered in badgers and I'm going to read some old encyclopedia. Maybe it's, maybe I'm just a real nerd. And then the day after it, I, I would get curious, you know, or you'd think, wait a minute, why is that thing there? Yeah. Um, or, you know, why, um, you know, what was that thing Indiana Jones was trying to find at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark? <laughs> <laughs> and why would they have a ball? <laughs> and that can send you on some real interesting interesting journeys because i think one thing my students struggle with sorry students is they don't ask why enough mm -hmm. why is this this way and if you keep asking why you're sort of like wait why did this composer do this what would a lesser composer i mean whatever lesser means or what would have been surprising about this piece of music when it was written yeah. you know what i mean like uh I, this happens with buildings when you walk by a building and the plaque says when it was built this was the tallest building in xyz and you mm -hmm. go that <laughs> and so i think you know for 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 us if if you're learning a piece of music maybe a piece by steve reich or something you, you it's helpful to think well what would have been crazy about this piece if yeah. you saw it in 1976 and so somehow finding these details and, and thinking about them or exploring them can can be really can be really helpful that's just me. I like to start from little things and I like to start from really big things. Yeah. Like the little things are the details and the really big things are the whole style of stuff. And then I think you can, you can meet in the middle, but in terms of how you actually do it, let's say that you have to, you're working over the summer and you're delivering pizzas the whole summer. It can be hard to say, all right, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go to this amazing art museum. Or let's say you live in a place that doesn't have an art museum or doesn't have a building that you really like or something. I think you can find that inwardly by by exploring things. You could listen to music, you could read books, you could just talk to somebody. Um, I uh, volunteered at a library for a little while um, mm -hmm. and I found that really fascinating because people come in with questions. Um, oh, I'm sure. And I'm, I think I'm pretty well suited to that job. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I found that endlessly inspiring because after each question, you could you could spend hours thinking about thinking about this. So even I would say to a student, even if this is not the way you exist in the world, try it on a little bit yeah. because you're not going to have a teacher your whole life. And so eventually you're going to have to 
be your own teacher. And it sounds like you tackled that in college by figuring out ways to think like a teacher, think ahead of the teacher. Um, I remember you saying something, you always wanted to be three lessons ahead. Mm -hmm. And then also to just be constantly thinking about, well, um, what are ways that I could develop this on my own? You know, how could I figure out how to change drum heads? How could I figure out how to do this thing? So I think some combination of those approaches could be helpful for people over the summer. Sure. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. always somebody who's out there who's done the thing that you're trying to do or done mm -hmm. a component of the thing that you're trying to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I just watched this recent Mark Rober video, you know, this engineer person, uh, YouTube guy, oh, yeah. uh, the glitter bomb guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, he tried to do an egg drop from space and it's a recent video. So, uh, bear with me, but the, uh, um, he was trying to make it so that you could release the egg and then it would land on a mattress. Um, and he just like the, the, the calculations of the, um, automated fins on the rocket weren't really like able to be as precise as he wanted. Um, uh -huh. so he, he, he called up, uh, one of his colleagues from NASA and the, um, the colleague basically said, how are you not arrested yet? He said, so you're trying to make a precision guided missile and that, and you're wondering how to do that. I'm not going to tell you. Uh, <laughs> he said, that's not something we can share, you know, and the people who know can't share it. Um, uh, so, but the, I mean, the point is like, uh, yeah, there's always somebody who's, who's out there, who's done it. And even if they don't have a YouTube video or if they don't have a, uh, podcast or something, um, mm -hmm. they're, uh, somebody knows. Yeah, I think period. a critical component of that is to be confused for a while, mm. right? You don't need an instant answer yeah. Um, necessarily. The internet seems to imply that you can have one, but you know, if you have this question, how would I do that? It's okay to spend a couple days figuring out how to do that or thinking about how to do that. I think that that can really help you tackle kind of a big musical problem. Yeah. And I always liked the, um, the, uh, maybe pride, um, the autonomous pride of not listening to a recording or not trying to find the reference first. Like, how mm -hmm. am I going to solve this if I'm the last person on an Island and my entire mm -hmm. life depends on figuring out this sticking or something? Like, how mm -hmm. am I going to do that? And then, you know, you, you yeah. figure out some different thing or you make a mallet that has some issue, you know, with it that, that can help you solve this problem. And then you say, okay, I've accomplished this to the best of my ability. Now let's open it up to the peanut gallery. How did everybody yeah. else do it? Um, and through the forming of your own connections, like sometimes your idea is better than everybody else's and you would never have gotten there if you went directly to the videotape. That's true. That's true. You know, my, my dad was a Spanish professor. Mm -hmm. And when I was studying Spanish, there's always the urge to call up the staircase. Hey, right. how do you say, how do you say washing machine? And then two minutes later, how do you say dryer? Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's a particular joy and satisfaction in figuring it out yeah. yourself or doing that work yourself. Cause there's no real shortcut for, for doing it yourself. And that's sort of what you're saying over the summer is you're developing skills because there's no real shortcut 
to developing them. Mm. Um, you have to put in the time and put in the energy. And I guess my response to that or add on to that is you can develop those skills in the practice room, but you can also develop them outside the practice room mm -hmm. so that when you're in the practice room, your toolbox is much, much, much bigger. Yep. You know, it's like if you're an ear, note, throat doc, ear, nose and throat doctor, generally speaking, you're looking for a problem in that area. But if you're sort of a general practitioner or you're, you might be more likely to see, oh, actually your arm's broken or <laughs> something like that it, instead. And sometimes when we, we get caught in musical ruts or we're trying to learn musical ideas, it can be helpful to just, uh, to, to, to take on those other, other things. So yeah. I think both of our ideas together make two good ideas, maybe one good idea. Super idea. Super idea, idea super plus. Summer. Super summer. Yeah, but I do, th I do think the assumption is that there's a summer. So what if you just said there is no summer and there is no, this is the time for me to continue these ideas and it's the season where I'm sort of planting things instead of harvesting them or waiting for them to grow yeah. or something like that. That could be a, a, a good way for people that struggle with that long amount of time to, to, uh, to manage it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the difficult part in there. And I mean, we could talk for another hour about this because I know we both have read this book, but the, uh, the idea of, um, of having a feedback system, mm -hmm. right. And like during the year you have constant feedback that mm -hmm. like, I'm going to do something. And then within sometimes within minutes and, uh, at the very longest within a week, like mm -hmm. you get a feedback for how that system that you've developed is working. And mm -hmm. over the summer, uh, you know, you could, uh, you could spend the entire summer exploring why the sky is green just to get back in the fall to realize that it's actually not green, mm -hmm. um, which is tricky, you know, but the, uh, I think no matter what system that you, you do, like the failures are the things that, that guide your successes. So, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, well, maybe the summer is a good time to develop one of those kinds of feedback, which is self feedback. Bingo. We seem to get a lot of peer feedback and a lot of mentor feedback, but self feedback can be elusive, yep. right? This, this, how do you meaningfully help, uh, critique yourself? Um, you know, speaking of, of vacations, I think there was like an outbreak of plague or some sickness. And Isaac Newton was sent home from school okay. in England. And that's the summer he developed everything. I <laughs> figured out the prism by poking his own eye. He figured out all sorts of stuff and he did it alone. Yeah. I mean, of course he did it supported by hundreds of years of people studying science. Sure. But the self-feedback, I think, um, in short spurts, maybe not five years of self-feedback, but in short spurts, it can really it can really help you. And I think it's something that I've noticed in like my, in my students or generation of students slightly younger than us is that it's harder to get that because there's so much instant information, which is amazing, yep. but it's, we as musicians, we're analog creatures, yeah. whether or not we create digital content, we're still analog creatures. We're, we're still sort of um, existing in that way. And so mm -hmm. I think that's something to, to, to just be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, amazing. 
All right. So did we solve summer? I think we figured out summer. We started with what is summer? Do, is there a exist. summer? Yeah. Yeah. It does exist. We figured that out. Is there a summer? Um, we didn't talk about it. Are we having it right now? I think we're midsummer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're midsummer. And then, yeah, I think, I think we didn't solve it, but we maybe gave some people some ideas. Okay. I certainly learned a lot. Yeah, and same. I hope that. I think we're going to have more conversations and I think one of them is going to be about preparing for stuff. Yes. And I know you are probably one of the most prepared people I know musically. Um, I so I, I'm really excited to, to, to learn about that. And I, I bet we're going to talk about all sorts of other stuff that's musically related, productivity related, development related um, along the way. I hope so. Yeah. Well, hey, yeah. this is a, the the main voyage of uh, Mike Drop podcast. Yeah, Mike's Mike's cast. Mike's cast. Yes, I love it. <laughs> um, okay, well, I guess this is uh, this is us signing off for now. Yeah, I think we're going to learn how to do this more eloquently. Okay. Um, next summer. It, yeah, next summer. Well, after twenty percent of decompression, I will put on my to-do list for the summer learn nice. how to end a podcast yeah <laughs> learn by doing <laughs> okay well uh bye mike bye everybody bye